Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Welcome to Girl on the Gov, the podcast where our goal is to make politics more accessible and less intimidating. The show features an interview with an expert in the political field, walking us through the many cues we have about politics, civics, government, and more. By providing civic education in the places we are, on our phones, and in the language we speak. And yes, we know we say like a lot. It's kind of the point, because politics needed a rebrand. Welcome back to Girl on the Gov, the podcast, not top stories of the week, because we are switching it up on everyone, just yet fully again. throwing, yet again, fully throwing a curveball, because we are not doing top stories this week. We have a few things to go over in this intro, but we have a very important interview episode that we wanted to get, get out ASAP because mm-hmm. of the stakes. The stakes are huge for everyone to know what's going on. And we're talking all about the Wisconsin Supreme Court race today. So wanted to really just give this moment, this episode, this interview, the whole week to really highlight it because I would say it's one of the biggest political moments of this entire year. So no, a thousand percent. And literally tomorrow, aka today, when you guys are listening to this, is the primary. And what's really interesting about this primary, which we do talk about in this episode, but just as like a little preview, if you're like, oh my God, wait, I'm in Wisconsin. Oh my, like I need to get the show on the road before you can even listen to the episode is because it's technically a nonpartisan race. And I do nonpartisan in quotes. There is essentially a four-way race happening, meaning that essentially the two. So actually, let me step it back. There are four people in this race, two conservatives, two progressives. What that means is that technically the general election could be two conservatives against each other or two progressives against each other, or it could be a conservative and a progressive. So turning out in this primary, primaries are always so critically important. You guys know that we run this home all the time and we'll be streaming it from the rooftops for years to come. But this is a very, very good example of that. So we will be also linking to a post by Motherhood for Good, who we did a really fun and important collaboration post with, but also they have one that's amazing in terms of showing just the scale of the candidate. So you'll be able to see the two progressive and the two conservative, so you know what to do. But today, when you hear this, if you are living in Wisconsin, you're a registered voter in Wisconsin, need you to go and vote. And tell all of your friends Mm -hmm. in Wisconsin, if you are not in Wisconsin, we also go over some action items if you do want to get involved and you're not in Wisconsin, but you want to help all the organizing efforts around it. Those are also included in this episode. So we got it all for you guys. The general election is April 4th, just FYI. So whatever Mm -hmm. happens today, general election, April 4th. Also, my hair is literally so stuck in my headphone right now. I can't even explain. I thought you were like trying to braid your hair. No, it like (laughs) Like, literally was a cute moment. Yeah, you know what I mean? It's just, wait, that would actually be such a funny, like, trend if it was, like, podcasting braids and then you, like, really did braid the hair, like, with the cords or, like... (laughs) With the cord, I'm dead. I so... Oh, my God, wait, imagine... I know fashion week just happened, but, like, imagine that is, like, some societal commentary, like, fashion meets art meets, meets, like, pop Mm. culture, and all of the models are wearing headphones. You've got it all nailed down. We'll just have to... 
you know, reach out to our friends over at Vogue, you know? Yeah. Of course, my parents are calling me in the middle of this recording call in a little. Millie, bye. Okay. Okay. So we have our fashion moment of, of the day of the week. But anyways, I guess we have to get to a few of these stories before we hop into the meat of this episode. Yeah, there's just a few things to chat about. I would say, you know, the big one of the bigger stories of the week is that Biden went on this surprise trip to Ukraine. Very interesting. I honestly thought that I saw like an article about when they were planning on him going. And I was like, what is this a surprise? And they were talking about how they sneaked him in to the country and like what that all took. And I was like, I swear I saw something where like he was getting on Air Force One. Like we all saw it happening and I'm sure the world did too. And I was like, wait, was I dreaming that? I think, I think maybe. Okay. Like, like I I'm think, literally just asking because I could totally. Yeah, no, it. I think there's long been a discussion though about like what that would mean if he were there, what the logistics would be, but like, it's too dangerous. Like, I think it's been a conversation point, but the visual end of things. Wow. Okay. There it is. Yeah. Probably was truly asking. I, I, you never know where this brain goes sometimes. Now, back to business, guys. President Joe Biden swept unannounced into Ukraine on Monday to meet with President Zelensky in a defiant display of Western solidarity with a country still fighting what he called a, quote, brutal and unjust war days before the first anniversary of Russia's invasion. So one year later, Kiev stands, Biden declared after meeting Zelensky at Marinsky Palace jabbing his finger for emphasis on his podium against a backdrop of three flags from each country. And the visit comes at a crucial moment. Biden is trying to keep allies unified in their support for Ukraine as the war is expected to intensify with spring offensives. So big moment. And the pictures that came out were, what's the word? Powerful. Yeah. I saw a really cute one of them hugging, which like, we love that because we love. Yeah. That just Biden is that affectionate guy. Whatever you want to say about him, like the man, the man is lovable. The man loves to show love. And we love that. The other thing that stood out to me was, of course, President Zelensky's outfit in in contrast to Biden's outfit, because Biden wore like his classic like United mm. States president suit. And Zelensky, our boy, aka me. Uh <laughs> if anyone's new here, I always joke about how when President Zelensky went to the White House. And was wearing his like green crew neck sweatshirt, which is if you also listen to the show, know that <laughs> that's what Samantha makes fun of me for on a daily basis. All that I wear the that time. every day. So it was just like more of those looks from President Zelensky, which I personally love to see. But <laughs> no, first of all, we love to see it because like, look, it's like a Maddie and Spell moment. But mm-hmm. also like it is really like it's smart. Like it's he really is showing the symbolic nature of being a president embedded in war and being like yeah i i am with you you are with me like Mm -hmm. it's i think it's functional but i also think it's symbolically smart and i you know i'm here for it a thousand ten percent but yeah i mean look you guys are just matchy matchy with the sweatshirts i think we're kindred spirits although the other day guys maddie and i both hopped onto a call and we were both wearing green sweatshirts and i was like i can't make fun of her today well, and I'm especially not- Samantha, because you were wearing that sweatshirt all week, all week, <laughs> all week. And you have been a broken record about making fun of me for wearing the same sweatshirt all the time. And I'm just like, I, and I'm not judging you. I'm like, now, you know, oh, no. that when you I, find just- when you find when you love, you just want to wear it all the time. It does make a difference. Like side note, that one in particular, 
I did not realize how much I liked like the fit. Yeah. And it's like, like the it fit said, is like, everything. Because I own way too many sweatshirts. Granted, a lot of them, like we've been chatting with the Gov Clubbers. We really need to do another sweatshirt launch at some point because I've stained every single one of mine beyond repair. Yeah, we might need to stay away um, from white moving forward. Just the problem is I, I also cannot own white. It's like a problem for me. Yeah. I've I've witnessed some spills over the over the years, over the times. Maddie spills. That's yeah. And I just get mine lathered and fake tan. So between the mm-hmm. two of us, we're doing great. But yeah, green might be it. I would love if that. You know I would. You know yeah. I would love that. So if you guys also want to see a nice green crew neck too, I feel like that honestly would be a perfect on-brand moment for us to come out with a green crew neck given all the commentary around it. So just putting that out there. But so. yes, that is the news of the week as far as what Biden's up to. The other kind of updates were some updates around the GOP presidential race for 2024. Ron, Governor Ron DeSantis, oh. Oh. <laughs> excuse me, is now hinting on his timeline because everyone has been so curious as to when this man is going to announce his presidency, his run for president. And so basically he hinted on Monday that he will make a decision on his presidential run after the state's legislative session wraps in May, giving the clearest timeline yet of when he could enter the race. So he went on Fox and Friends, of course, and spilled this tea. And he was asked when he might decide on a White House bid. And DeSantis mapped out the coming months saying he would embark on a tour to promote his new book, of course. Of course. Quote, the courage to be free is what it's called and work through the Florida legislature's regular session, which begins in early March. Can you imagine if we suggested that book to our book club? (laughs) Imagine. (laughs) We kind of should just to like, that would actually be funny to kind of read it. That would actually be funny. You know, just to get the... Look, I'm all here for like reading from other perspectives. Mm -hmm. I I am. So, you know, what? it might be interesting, but also... Do I want um... to contribute to his book sales? Oh, no, it would be an only library takeout only. There will be no purchasing. Absolutely. I doubt this man is putting his books in libraries, first of all. Oh, that's a good point. Definitely not on school shelves. Or maybe, well, (laughs) that's the one book. No, that's the... Can you imagine you walk into a He's banning all books except for his in every school across Florida. I totally see that for him. That's like like his marketing plan. Oh, man. It's all come together. Puzzle pieces. It's all making sense. The sun is Mm. just... You are blinded. Guys, go watch on YouTube. So his quote was... Hey, you have sunglasses <laughs> No, like, thank God I'm wearing a hat because my lighting is questionable is the moral of this story. Yep. Anyways, <laughs> so this was Ron DeSantis' quote about the matter. He said, we're going to sell some books. We're going to spread the message of Florida. And then on March 8th, I have our legislative session that's kicking off. And he said, you ain't seen nothing yet. This is going to be the most productive legislative session we have had across the board. And I think people are going to be really excited. So those are what we're going to be doing. That doesn't even make sense. Over these next few few months as we get beyond that. And then we can decide from there. So he's still being Um, a little wishy-washy about this. Know what this reminds me of? like a thousand percent is when there's a couple and people keep and they've been dating for a while the soft launch keep, no not what i was even gonna say <laughs> which that is definitely another category within this field but when they keep asking so when do you guys think you're gonna get engaged do you guys yeah. what's the timeline have you guys talked <laughs> about it has he said when he's gonna go ring shopping like yeah guys, she's like, like she's like oh i've talked about it he knows <laughs> He knows. More to the story is that Senate Republicans are actually very nervous about 
this DeSantis timeline because they are nervous about Trump's lead right now in the presidential primary polls and are just kind of impatiently waiting for Ron DeSantis to announce. And it's basically the waiting game is playing on nerves with some thinking DeSantis has lost political momentum since his big re-election win in November. There are also concerns that the longer the governor waits, the bigger the GOP primary field will grow, which is seen as helpful to Trump, who maintains rock solid support among 25% to 30% of Republican voters. So very interesting to also see that like, you know, the Senate GOP are kind of coming out a little bit as anti-Trump and maybe pro-DeSantis. Seeing what this party and the leaders in this party are going to want to do is going to be fascinating. A thousand percent. Like so weird, so wacky. Like, I mean, it's definitely a pick your poison. I mean, there's no way this guy isn't running. Right. right. Like what I, I'm trying to think of, like, what would it take for him not to run? You know what I mean? And I just. I mean, he also is a very ego fueled person and I can mm. see him maybe being a little weary because of Trump's lead. And he maybe thought he would have be polling a little better, potentially. I don't know, because, you know, especially if Trump's already talking shit to him. Like to get mm-hmm. in that heated battle, which it's going to get nasty if they run against each other. Oh, you know, maybe he's weighing like, maybe is this is this my time kind of thing? Because I think Even if he were still, to lose like to Trump, Trump he would like lose his mind. Mm-hmm. Fair. I don't know. But it's like there's so long to go and right. there's so much spiraling that can be done on Trump's side of things if played correctly. And especially if the GOP is against Trump, like I can see... You know, I feel like DeSantis will have the support of the party. Maybe. I don't know. I think this is like one of those interesting moments where we have to like dial up the digits of like a few of our Republican friends and get their takes. I don't know who, <laughs> who we call. That's a Republican. You guys, my face. Samantha's <laughs> acting as if we've been networking in the GOP side of things i don't think we have a single person in our network who is hold a on. part of the gop hold on i'm really thinking we know someone that's friends with someone that is we know friends of friends of friends there it's it friends. is <laughs> we also know the guy who has a podcast who's who's been on oh saving elephants mm-hmm. i guess we mm-hmm. kind of know him he's technically yeah. a republican that's fair. I um, love that you said that. Out of all people in this world, I would never think you would say something like that. <laughs> I'm screaming. That makes two of us. You know, it's really it's a crazy place up in here, and you never know what you get. That was a that was a plot twist twist on a Monday for me. Well, the other small little piece of this too is mm-hmm. Democrats are apparently a little worried about Nikki Haley, which is an interesting as well. So Democrats have grown to over the campaign return of former President Trump and have braced for the unknown in an untested Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. But now in the earliest days of the 2024 presidential cycle, the party in power is facing a new challenge, how to handle Nikki Haley. The former South Carolina governor's entrance into a wide open field draws an obvious contrast with Trump, who Republicans have hesitated to take on too soon. And for Democrats, it puts them in an unfamiliar spot, defending an 80-year-old Biden against a 51-year-old rival hoping to be the first female president. So I think this is this makes more the most sense to me. 
Oh, a thousand percent. This is threatening. I totally agree because I think that the, this is where like, I feel like identity politics really comes in. hundred percent. Right. Where it's like, even if like, I feel like, or I, I'm nervous to not even nervous, hesitant to see this, like, but I feel as though this is one of those scenarios that becomes like a, a what if or a but situation. I don't agree with all of what she stands for, but this would propel women forward. I don't totally agree with her on this, but, you know, I feel like mm-hmm. it gives a lot of gravitas to that, especially to people that are independents and or that are Republicans that in the last few years have been voting Democrat. Mm-hmm. And so I do think that the Dems need to be aware of that. I do think, you know, while I incredible like to the nth, the furthest of furthest degrees could not agree with her on probably almost anything. I mean, she is a strong speaker. She has presence. She has campaigned before. She has held impressive positions. I mean, like from a Republican standpoint, she's a strong and remove the Trump, the DeSantis factor of, mm-hmm. you know, the I mean, she's she is pretty far right. So let's not ignore that. But and definitely opportunistically far right, because I remember correctly back in the day, I don't remember her originally being pre-Trump so far right as she is now. No. Yeah, that's kind of what we talked about last week is that she's been like a flip-flopper on the Trumpian tactics, I would say. But like that is the Republican base these days. So it's going to be interesting how she walks that line because I personally think for the GOP, it would make sense for someone to try and go a little bit towards the middle to get some of those voters back that Trump lost. So if that's the strategy from the GOP, I think that's going to be really threatening to yeah. Biden and the Democrats. Because what so. if you had a a candidacy or a ticket, sorry, that's Nikki Haley for president and Glenn Youngkin from Virginia as VP? Mm. Like that is a really, even though, again, Glenn Youngkin also, again, feeding right into the far right with all this anti-CRT, anti-abortion, you know, policy and rhetoric and whatever, but he presents himself as this classic middle of the road Republican, although it, albeit not being true, mm-hmm. presents himself that way, at least a lot of times on paper. So I totally. think that that, that would be a ticket I'm scared of as a Democrat. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Because and a it's lot just of times another, it's, another. It's easier to fight what you can see, and you can see mm-hmm. a Trump extremism. You can see even DeSantis, who still worries me from the fact that again he's a more eloquent Trump. But like there is, there are enough really national headlines regarding DeSantis and what he's doing that there's at least something to yell at. Not that there isn't about Youngkin, that there isn't about Nikki Haley, but it doesn't. And it hasn't gotten the long-term media attention that some of these other things have, at least in my opinion. 100%. There's not like scars around these two the way that there are around Trump and DeSantis. I feel like broke a record at this point. I'm like, I don't know when the GOP are going to get their shit together and realize that like the past five years haven't been working for them um, electorally. so it's, it's such a double-edged sword because you don't want them to because they're going to continue no, doing No, of course not. Right. But it's stuff, just but like it's crazy like, to me to think that there are yeah, from a, leaders in this party who are sitting there debating what to do. And it's like, 
kind to me, like right in front of their face, like you've lost the last three elections technically because of the rhetoric and all the bigotry and all the things that have been so terrible. But, you know, they haven't really start started to stray away. We're still seeing it. We're still seeing them take on those yeah. stances and, you know, implement those policies. And it's it's very interesting to me that no one's like they're not seeing it or at least well, at I this wonder moment. too if there's in some of these super gerrymandered states that mm-hmm. have some of these really extreme and really vocal and loud voices if that's just where their eye is like that's, but that's this is a presidential election no I know but you like, know what I mean like sometimes it's I think even within one's own party I could see that being its own distraction yeah, I guess that is like the big issue within the party is that it's working on the local and state level for them. Right. But it's not working nationally. And it's, yeah, I think that's gonna that's a huge issue for them. It is working for them on the state level in those super red areas. But when you're looking at a presidential race, it seems like it's got to be a different tactic. And maybe, I don't know, maybe that is the plan. Keep it keep it extreme and red on the state level and try because and be more moderate the on the presidential. Of those people turning out. So I think that's really a part of like the key of their strategy is they know that those people are going to turn out to vote. So yeah. I think, you know, I that's but then there's been such a shift on a lot of certain issues just in Kansas, you know, right. abortion. Who would have thought that would have happened? Like I don't know. It's just very interesting yeah. and I think young people are a very important piece to this and that, you know, even in these red areas there are young people that will see some of these really terrible policies and stances from this party and be not only turned off, but like mobilized to turn out. Yeah. And I also, to just precursor is we have two episodes coming out in the next few weeks. One with one of our friends in Texas, who's a policy associate, works in the Texas state legislature and also ran for office there. And then one of our friends that is also in elected office in the Arkansas State House. And mm-hmm. we get some really interesting perspective on these like, quote unquote, red states. What does that actually mean? Is it really red? Is it just, you know, a undermobilized area? Is there like no infrastructure? What does that look like? So there's some more conversations to be had on this. And I won't, I won't ruin it too much. Yeah, like, you know, I we can wanna... stop our rambling at this point. Yeah. But just yeah. all very interesting things to think about. And it's just going to continue to be a very interesting year and watching all this play out. But Nonetheless, here we are. I think it's time. I think it's time to get into this interview. It's time for everyone to learn about this very important race in Wisconsin. Let's just get into it. We've rambled for so long. Sorry, guys, but not really that sorry because, like, you know, just sometimes you just got to ramble. And since we're only doing one episode, this I was just going to say, what you got. That's what you got. Yeah. Like, we got to pass this know? time. Like, usually we have an hour and a half to, to just talk and mm-hmm. share our unasked for opinions. But we're putting it into Which, what say 20 minutes side note, minutes? i genuinely i i think they they might be wanted opinions because one of our best episodes so far this year is the episode that's just us <laughs> the best i mean so, i guess anyways, we do have a podcast we've had a podcast for two and a half years so i would hope yeah. that our opinions are some i wanted at this point but anyways 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 okay so this week's episode this interview episode which again is coming out Early bird special is with 
Yasmin Raji, who is the executive director at Swing Left. Swing Left has been super, super involved in this Wisconsin Supreme Court race. So we run through what's on the line with it, why it's so important in Wisconsin and also nationally, how you can get involved, and also just judicial races in general. Some of the like ins and outs of why they're sometimes non-person, why they're so confusing. We cover this a little bit with Michigan Supreme Court Justice Kyra Bolden, but this Mm -hmm. is a little bit of a continued conversation and, of course, including a race that is in our midst. So, nonetheless, without further ado, here is Yasmin. Well, welcome, Yasmin. We are so excited to get into this episode, which is going to put a huge spotlight on not just Sling Left, but on what's going on in Wisconsin. Yes. Like, I personally am hungry right now, so automatically I'm thinking Wisconsin cheese, but this really is going to be Wisconsin <laughs> Supreme Court. So there's that whole, you know, can of worms, let us just say. But before we go in that direction, let's set the groundwork here by talking about Swing Left. Can you tell us about what you guys do? What's the work that, you know, goes into this organization? Well, first of all, Maddie and Sammy, thank you so much for having me on. I am very excited to be here and so excited about the work that you all do on this podcast. It is so so, so important. And I'm excited about the topic of Wisconsin and everything else that we're going to be discussing today. But for folks who are listening who are unfamiliar, Swing Left started in response to the election of Donald Trump in 2017. And our mission from the very beginning has been really simple. It's about connecting volunteers to the highest impact actions, mostly things like canvassing, phone banking, writing letters in service of winning the highest impact elections. And we started out focused on the House, and we've since evolved the levels of the ballot because so many levels of the ballot matter for so many reasons that mm-hmm. I know we're going to get into. And then the second half of our mission is about connecting donors to those same high-impact elections so that whether the resources that we have are time or dollars, we're making sure that we're spending those resources as efficiently as possible because there's just so much on the line and it's really yeah. hard to, to sort of parse through where to spend our time and our energy. So that's in essence what we are focused on. And we were really proud that in our very first cycle in 2018, we were the largest driver of volunteer shifts in the democratic ecosystem, which is why we have stuck around because of the, the movement of volunteers that, that joined us. And then in 2020, when we took on state legislative races, we were the largest bundler for state legislative races in the country. And so I think a testament, whether it's on the money side or on the people side, grassroots and bringing that grassroots power to winning elections is who we are. Yeah. Oh, my God. Incredible. All of it. Incredible. Well, give us a scoop, too, about your journey, your political journey. How did you end up in the political space? How did you end up at Swing Left? Give us give us the run through. Yes. So I always imagined having a career that was focused on impact, but I grew up in a town where in California where I only knew Democrats. And then I went to college in Philly where I only knew Democrats. So I did not see the point of electoral politics. I really saw, you know, the way to have impact as being either I had a a dream of being a teacher and thought if I didn't become a teacher, then I would do something in this sort of nonprofit and social justice space where I saw, you know, that being the front lines of change. And I was in college during the presidential primary in 2008. And I was in my peak armchair radical phase where no <laughs> no type of impact was pure enough for me. And I was reading a lot of books and writing a lot of very cerebral papers that no one was reading. And my friends sort of pulled me aside on their way to an Obama rally and said, 
you have become a nightmare and everything that you care about is at stake in this election. And what are you doing? You're just, you know, sort of holier than thou. And so they dragged me to an Obama rally downtown. And I, you know, began to really connect the dots that every single thing that I cared about, you know, especially I was really passionate about education and immigration policy, and of course, economic policies and inequality, and every single thing that I cared about, even if I was in a, you know, very blue area, really came down to the balance of power of who is president, who is in the Congress, and how investments in the things that I cared about, um, you know, would be made. And so I think that it, in many steps along the journey of I worked on the Obama campaign in Ohio, and then have done a mix of organizing, advocacy, electoral work all along the way and in different parts of the country, most recently at Planned Parenthood, and then serving in the Biden-Harris administration. But I think that uh, being back at Swing Left feels like a, a return home of working with a lot of volunteers and donors who live in those same really blue parts of the country and who aren't sure how to kind of connect to the places where elections determine so much of what impacts all of us, no matter where we are in the country. So, of course, our volunteers are also in purple and red parts of the of the country, but it's been a nice homecoming. I can imagine. I am losing it over this intervention. <laughs> that is iconic. Like the visual on it too. Like, I'm so sorry. We just, we need to have a moment. Yeah. Yes, um, exactly. We'll sit down. Exactly. That is too good. I'm obsessed exactly. with your friends too. Yes. They just absolutely crack me up in general. Like we all need to hang out. Like that's what exactly. I get from this. Exactly. But I'm sure across like all of these different elections, all of the work that you've done, there have been moments where you've seen, you know, you've had observations, there's takeaways. And we of course just had the midterm elections. And I'm curious, you know, from your point of view, like what those big takeaways were, and also to looking to 2023 races, what yeah. you think, you know, will be sort of the the translation, you know, of what we saw in 2022, what does that look like for 2023? Yeah. yeah, you know, so it was the summer of 2022, when I was leaving a job that I really enjoyed in the Biden-Harris administration, and my colleagues there looked at me like I was nuts, because they were like, you're about to enter an election where you are about to get eviscerated. Why don't you just wait, join Swing Left after the election, then you can be a part of the, the turnaround campaign after mm. Democrats lose everything. And I, I turned to my colleagues and said, if you want to be staffing, you know, hearing after hearing on Hunter Biden for the next two years, then we I can stay home and not get involved in this election. But I think, you know, I, and, and, you know, I, I think what was I say that, you know, both because that is the truth of why I joined Swing Left at that moment. But also because that summer, just a few months before the election, the narratives on on cable news and every newspaper article that we could possibly find were all about how there is going to be a giant red wave and Democrats are going to get crushed at all levels of the ballot. We ought to stay home. And what was really inspiring to me was that swing left volunteers like really didn't care about those narratives. They just went out and did the work and yeah, not right. just volunteers, but, you know, folks around the country. And you all know that we ended up preventing that red wave. We held the Senate. The House majority on the Republican side is really narrow because of that work. And, yeah. you know, I, I didn't mention in my in my intro, but, you know, I, I worked at Planned Parenthood for years as the Planned Parenthood Action Fund National Political Director. 
And, you know, in this moment of unprecedented sort of backlash to the progress we've made in in the fight for reproductive freedom and that, you know, the Dobbs decision, it was really amazing to see voters, volunteers, donors really step up. And in those key governor's races that were really close in, you know, places like Wisconsin that I know we're going to talk about, you know, Democrats came out and voted in droves, but also Republicans and independents showed up and said, These guys, mostly guys on the right, are so extreme that we're going on the Democratic side. And so, you know, I think a lot of learnings from 2022, but I think at the essence, what I came away with is it's okay to read the polls. It's okay to read, you know, the sort of destructive narratives that we read all in in the newspapers that we love. But it's also really important to just do the work and really organize around our values because elections do come down to turn out and who is motivating their side. And Dems did an incredible job of just showing how extreme the other side was and just how much was at stake. Totally. We, you should have heard us before the election. <laughs> we were just like, we were like your volunteers. We're like, we don't care what these polls yeah. are saying. Yeah. And I think, you know, we felt that sentiment as well from young voters and just being in these spaces where young voters are with what we do. Like we were like, there's no way there's going to be a red wave. Like everyone's pissed off. Everyone's, you know, and I think seeing that, kind of shift with these election results was really inspiring to know that everyone was like, okay, whatever these pundits are saying, you know, we, our rights are literally on the line and we're going to turn out for them. So, um, yeah, it was an exciting election for that reason. And we always, Sam and I like to just brag that we were, we were right. So. <laughs> I love it. Well, you were right. And I, you know, to just put a finer point on, on a really important thing that you just said, you know, I mean, you both know this, but young voters in 2022 turned out at historic levels. And yeah. and I think people are not giving enough credit to the margin between 2022 youth turnout and 2018 youth turnout, where every newspaper headline was like, young people won this election, blue wave because of young people. I mean, we were basically on par with 2018 levels. And I think that that is a, a real sign, first of all, in the sort of organizing that's happening of young people on college campuses and and all around the country, but also that young people are politically sophisticated and pragmatic and thoughtful and able to draw the connections between what is on the ballot and the things that are keeping them up at night. And, and I don't think that we sort of collectively as a country give young people enough credit for that. And we just need to look at the election results to know Dems would have been in exactly this sort of doom and gloom situation that people predicted if it weren't for young people. You are preaching to the choir over here. Those (laughs) are our thoughts. Exactly. No, we totally agree. And moving now into 2023, hoping to, you know, continue that momentum. Let's talk about this Wisconsin Supreme Court race. We've talked about this a little bit on our socials, but definitely wanted to highlight it here and make sure, you know, people have an understanding of what's going on. So do you mind first just starting with this race, telling us like how we got here, what's going on, all these, all those background details? Yep. I'm so glad that you all are highlighting this. You know, in many parts of the country, judicial races are not things that you vote for. You know, it's it's only in certain states where it's on the ballot who is going to be your judge. And Wisconsin is one of those places. And the Wisconsin Supreme Court currently, it's there's an opportunity to flip it from a conservative majority to a progressive majority. And what is sort of strange about the way that courts work is that People are not Republicans or Democrats who then run for these judicial seats, as you both know. It's people who have strong liberal and conservative leanings. And we all know that the courts, 
may pretend to be nonpartisan and may pretend to be agnostic, but we need only look at our national Supreme (laughs) Court to know just how wrong that is. And certainly it's not any different in the states. And so in Wisconsin, there are, we're in the middle of a primary right now, and there are two liberal leaning candidates, two conservative leaning candidates. I don't even want to say leaning, two very conservative candidates. And who ends up, there will be two people who make it past the primary, could be, you know, any makeup of those four. It'll probably end up being one conservative, one liberal. And whoever wins will be the person who will be the deciding vote in a court that is going to determine a lot of really important issues, literally including whether or not abortion will be legal in the state of Wisconsin. And I want to just triple underscore this point because there's a lot of sort of hyperbolic rhetoric about abortion rights in this country. But in Wisconsin, There is a mid 1800s law that outlaws abortion, you know, completely outright. So today, even though there is a Democratic governor who's a huge champion of abortion rights and Evers, there is a there is a majority of Republicans in both the House and in the Senate, meaning this mid 1800s law means that no one can get an abortion today in the state of Wisconsin because they cannot get rid of this antiquated law. So anyone who needs to get an abortion in Wisconsin is driving to Illinois. Any abortion provider in Wisconsin is driving to Illinois and working at a clinic there. And I say all of that, there's so much more that's at stake in this election. But literally, whether this is a conservative or Republican, excuse me, conservative or a liberal Supreme Court majority, that will determine whether this mid 1800s law is repealed or not. Also, whether or not if there is a contested election in the presidential, if it comes down to Wisconsin, whether we will have a fair case or not will come down to whether there's a liberal or conservative leaning. Same with gerrymandering, you know, voting rights, so many other issues. So it's one of these races that feels so wonky the way that it is often described. But it really comes down to in a place where you have broken levers of power for, you know, Democrats or for progressive leaning people, you have we're very behind in our power building in the legislature. This is going to determine so many issues that will impact every single Wisconsinite, but particularly young people, especially women, especially people of color. And so it's an election that matters a lot and that a lot of people are not going to be paying attention to. Mm -hmm. Totally. I feel like the second the midterm elections are over, people are like, okay, we did it. Pack your bags. We'll see you in two years. And even like in a a larger scope way, like I've definitely gotten questions from friends that are like, oh, so like you guys will like really be dealing with like race stuff in like, I don't know, a year or something. I'm like, no, people are, first of all, there's elections this year. And second of all, people are announcing their candidacies now and already have. So it's just there is such a disconnect. And we're obviously trying to make those connections for people. But I think the 2023 race element of it definitely makes it incredibly challenging because people aren't expecting it or looking for it at all. They're like, wait, there's what race? And so I'm curious, like what your experience too has been so far in organizing for this? Like, does it seem like people in Wisconsin have a good grasp on that this is coming up? Does it feel like every conversation is a, wait, what in the world moment? You know, what does that look like? Yeah, it's such a good question. And I think there's the Wisconsin element of this and then how the rest of the country engages with Wisconsin. One thing, one point that is implicit in what we're saying, but, you know, this is 
it's an election that's not just in 2023. It is in a couple of months. It's in April. It's a, it's coming up right around the corner. So we don't have a lot of time to organize for it. And I was actually talking recently with my Planned Parenthood, former Planned Parenthood colleagues in Wisconsin. And there, of course, this is a race that's existential for them. And something that one of my former colleagues told me that really sort of just like gave me the worst version of goosebumps is that many abortion providers in the state of Wisconsin, when Governor Evers was reelected, they believed they'd be able to return to work the next day because they knew how much that governor's race meant for, you know, being able to override, being able to veto, you know, horrible right wing legislation that's coming that will continue to block abortion rights. And they, you know, most people don't pay attention to the minutia of how government works. So like, great, we have an ally in the governor. It's legal. Right. And so, you know, if even the people who are on the front lines of something like, you know, being abortion providers are unaware, first of all, in what the impact of this past election was, let alone that there's another one coming up just a few months away. You can imagine for people who are paying less attention that this is not even on their radar. And so what we at Swing Left and then our our partner organization on the C3 and C4 side or the nonprofit side vote forward, what we're really focused on is how do we talk to as many voters as possible. If we can talk to Democratic or likely Democratic voters or unlikely voters among young people and people of color, and we talk to them about what's at stake and we tell them this election is happening, even though it's not in November, even though it's not an an even year, then we will be successful. But just to highlight how close these elections are, the reason why there's not a supermajority in the conservative supermajority in the Wisconsin legislature came down to 2,499 votes. I mean, that is literally the work of a couple of volunteers, a couple of donors is getting that sort of level of turnout. And in the last race in Wisconsin, the race in 2019, it came down to 6,000 votes. So these are really, these are tiny, tiny margins. We don't have to persuade anyone. We don't need to kind of get into the weeds of talking to our conservative uncles and friends. You know, this is just talking to the people who already agree with us and getting them to show up. And the last thing that I just want to say on this is, obviously, we're talking about Wisconsin because that's where the election is. But for people around the country, any listeners here who are never been to Wisconsin, don't know that much about Wisconsin, we all have an obligation, I think, as a country to be engaged in an election like this, whether as volunteers or as donors, because what happens in Wisconsin, even if we don't live there, will determine potentially what whether or not there is a fair outcome to the presidential election. Mm-hmm. So I think for anyone who's listening in, who is sort of turning to you all saying, what do I do in 2024? 2023, even right now in 2023, there's an opportunity to get involved. And we at Swing Left would be happy to direct them if they have time or dollars that they're willing to invest. Awesome. Well, we I also have a question about organizing too and organizing tactics as well, because we've had we had Supreme Court Justice Kyra Bolden on the show recently. And we talked a lot about this about judicial races and how they're nonpartisan. Well, the the the, the positions are nonpartisan and that ultimately makes, you know, these races nonpartisan. But as a voter, it's really, really hard to vote 
in these on these races and make you know the right decision i mean i'm i'm in california and we always have a lot of judicial races and i'm always stumped on who to vote for because even when you do try and do the research like the research it's not even there to show you you know who's in line with you so i'm curious what kind of organizing tactics you guys have for judicial races specifically is there things that you can do to kind of educate that's a little different than you know, these other kind of typical races that we see, like what, how do we get people on the right page? Totally. Well, I think exactly as you said, it is so much harder to find information, even sort of a quick Google search in many judicial races. I remember knocking on the door of someone in Des Moines, Iowa in the 2018 election, and I was talking to them about a house race. And they asked me about the judicial races and I don't live in Iowa. I don't didn't know anything about it. And I sat on their porch and we Googled together and I sat there for 30 minutes trying to Google. So, you know, exactly what you said resonates so much. It's not easy to find this information. The primary two tactics that were or three tactics that were engaged in here is knocking on doors, making phone calls, and then through vote forward, writing letters and across each of those to actually name the liberal candidates during the primary. We have not picked a candidate. We do, Either of the liberal candidates will be great for the state of Wisconsin, but, but naming them so that folks know if you are a Dem or if you are a progressive who doesn't identify as a Dem but votes Dem, it is really important that you know these two names and that you know where they stand on abortion rights, where they stand on democracy issues, on gerrymandering, on voting rights, on so much, and that we are just drawing that link for them. But that also means actually reaching them, right? Leaving them a voicemail or talking to them on their doorstep or writing them a letter that they can open not so far away from election day that they forget. I mean, that's the other thing is that mm -hmm. people who are busy, who have a lot going on, if we send them the letter today and they open it today, they may forget or throw it away by election day. So we actually hold our letters until just a few weeks before election day and send them during a big weekend sort of mailing that we call the big send so that people are getting those letters in time to vote. And that memory is still fresh on who those liberal leaning candidates are. Totally. It's like, what's that sort of sweet spot where it's, exactly. you know, it doesn't end up in that like mail pile that everyone has exactly. by their front door. That's like, exactly. I'll do this at some point, like or exactly. maybe half that will end up in recycling, you know, but that organizing tactic aside, back to the one very much focused on getting these names out there. Who are the candidates, the liberal candidates specifically? What are also two, like the big takeaways that voters should know about these two potential judges? Well, yes. judges are ready, potential justices. Let me just yes. clarify. Yes. Well, first off, big picture before going into the specific people, I did just also want to say this is going to be the most expensive judicial race in American history. So just to put things in perspective, if we are not doing the work of putting, you know, the candidates names out there and tying them to the issues that matter, we should be very confident that conservatives are going to do that. And they're going to spend a ton of money doing that on TV, in organizing, et cetera, et cetera. So that is sort of the urgency of, of the great question that you're asking. So there's two candidates. One is Janet, and I put her pronunciation in front of me because I don't want to butcher her last name. Janet Protasewicz. Side note, did you see the her campaign video where she had people trying to say it? 
It reminds me of the Buddha judge. Yes, 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 yes. yes. It is. It's so necessary, and I, I am still on the struggle bus, but I am learning it every week. I'm getting better. Protasewitz, but she is, she is incredible. She's endorsed by all sorts of fabulous national organizations. And the second is Everett Mitchell, who is also phenomenal. Both of them, I'd say, you know, we've got friends in the ecosystem who are endorsing on either side. We are at Swing Left. We are behind either one of them on the on the liberal side who who is victorious in the primary. And then on the on the right side, not the right side, on the wrong side, on the conservative <laughs> side, we have Daniel Kelly and Jennifer Doro, and they are both extremely conservative on every issue that we've talked about. And of course, every other issue that I'm sure your listeners care about. I think the contrast between them is that Daniel Kelly seems really moderate. He speaks in a very sort of level tone. And so people don't necessarily hear just how conservative he is, because he seems like he is the sort of reasonable judge actor. And so it's really important that we actually highlight as we did with so many of the candidates in 2022, just how extreme he is. And then Jennifer Doro is is not hiding her extremism at all. She is my favorite fact about her is that her family owns a gun range and they have been under a lot of sort of political heat because they are lobbying to allow alcohol to be served at the gun range so that people can drink while shooting. And so just to kind of give you a flavor for for the kind of sort of measured judicial leader that would be the possible victorious yeah. sort of linchpin of the of the of the Supreme Court. So anyway, that's a little bit about, about them. Yes. Important, important piece um, to highlight. <laughs> there are just so many things, just side note, that should just not involve alcohol. Like those axe ranges, another yes, great example. Yes, like yes, I know yes. like a little bit different than guns, but like what in the world? I yep. just the logic is not there for people. Not that that's a new thing, but I, yeah, mm. yeah. Well, Agreed. I do have on all of the above. Yeah, it's just one of those things. But I do have a very technical question, and yes. that is about the primary and how this is set up. Is it possible that the result is two liberal judges against each other and two conservative? Like, what yes. what does that look like? Great question. That is totally possible, and that is. Part of why we are really, really pushing for volunteers to be involved in the primary, you know, because we don't take a position as swing left in in choosing someone in the primary. We often don't start our work until the general election. And we are absolutely not taking that approach because of exactly the risk that you highlighted of if we waited out and we don't talk to people about the importance of showing up in the primary and who to vote for in the primary, if they're struggling to have, as Maddie talked about, sort of find information about who's liberal, who's conservative, then we're going to lose before we even get the opportunity to fight the general election. So it's a huge priority for us. We're working really closely with the Wisconsin Democratic Party on this and with a Number of groups on the ground because yeah I think the the worst worst case scenario that we are doing everything to avoid is we're in a race a race to the bottom with two conservatives absolutely well what are some things that we can highlight too as far as how to get involved we always you know want to push to our yes. Wisconsin yes. friends but even if you aren't in Wisconsin are there things that we can highlight of how to kind of help push this over the finish line for for April. Definitely. 
It's coming Definitely. Out so glad that you all are always steering folks toward action. I feel like I'm in, in good company here. Where folks who are listening can go to swingleft.org and they can get plugged into where the highest impact actions are for that moment in the race. And so they'll get funneled to, if they're not in the Wisconsin area, to phone banks. They are in the Wisconsin area. They can join canvases. And then once we get closer to the general election, for any folks in Chicago, we are going to be organizing some buses from the Illinois, from Chicago to go into Wisconsin because of just how much is at stake and how much organizing on the ground is going to matter. And then through our, our nonprofit partner, nonpartisan partner, Vote Forward, we are also organizing letters that people can go to voteforward.org and download letters from home. If they've got a printer, they can print those out. If they don't, we can help send them the letters and they will, exactly myself, I don't have a printer myself, but I've uh, a UPS store nearby that that charges me way too much for the basic yep. printing. <laughs> but anyway, so folks can can write letters to voters. And something that we found a lot of folks really enjoy doing is getting their friends together and doing letter writing parties. And so that's also a really nice way. We are, of course, talking about impacting elections, but something that, that I've thought of a lot about in general, but also in this sort of era coming out of the peak of COVID is we're also craving this sort of small D democratic connection of getting together with people and talking about issues and talking about what we care about, whether that's with friends or neighbors. And so letter writing parties are a great way to make a difference, but also be in community with one another. Love. Totally. Looks like my little voting and wine party I put on with exactly. my Exactly. That's a great, <laughs> that is a great thing to to mix alcohol with is voting. That I hundred percent. And <laughs> especially in this obvious, if you don't have an election right now in this spring season you can do your right letter writing party maybe a little wine maybe a little pizza whenever you want all of the above all of the above but we want to also chat about 2024 a little bit and looking forward to that because things are already kicking off and i think it's going to be pretty crazy so we had big questions too just about especially since you guys are so organizing focused just kind of giving like tips and tricks for people to kind of cut through the noise and make sure like if they want to volunteer, if they want to donate, like what are the best ways to do that strategically? There's so many amazing organizations that do amazing work. Like what are kind of your, I guess, tips for people who, you know, want to have an impact, but are kind of overwhelmed by all of the things being thrown at them, I guess. Yep. Yep. Such a great question. Well, on the volunteering side for people who have time, whether it's a little bit of time or a lot of time, uh, they can go to swingleft.org and they can type in their zip code and they'll get connected to the actions that are closest to them. And those could be physically closest to them as in a canvas that's, you know, most people live within a couple of hours of the, their closest swing district on the House side. And then, of course, you know, maybe a little bit further away as we move up to Senate governors, depending on where they live. But they can get connected and they can also get connected to swing left groups in their local community so that they are not just taking actions on their own, but if they'd like to be in community with others, they can get connected to those groups. Also, for a lot of volunteers, they want to take those high impact actions from home, which we allow them to do through phone banking, through letter writing and with our Vote Forward partner. So that's on the volunteer side. And we, our job is to do the complicated part of targeting, of saying as we get closer to the election, if a place where someone has been volunteering is no longer competitive, we steer them to the next closest race so that they're not wasting their time in a place that is definitely going to win or definitely going to lose, but rather in the places that are going to come down to, you know, what we all call a field margin. And for folks for whom that's unfamiliar, it's just, you know, the margin of how many doors we knocked, how many people actually got out and voted. And then, oh, sorry, go ahead. 
Wait. Okay. Question about the determination process more of like the, okay. Are there situations where something feels competitive or, you know, going into it, like looking, looking at the map of things. And then it, like you're saying it goes kind of South doesn't, Mm -hmm. you're like, okay, no longer. What is like the threshold there where you're looking at either the numbers or what were you like, okay, let's just, you know, regroup here and go a different direction. Yep. Great question. So we've got an amazing, amazing political team that is both looking at the numbers on a regular basis in general, but an even more regular basis as we get closer to election day. So they're looking at, you know, how are how's how are the polls looking? How how many dollars has this person raised? What is their staffing looking like? So they're sort of looking at at everyone in comparison to each other so that we are also not taking on every fight under the sun, but just those closest ones. And then they're also, you know, so much of this is an art, not a science. So in addition to running all the numbers, they're also talking to our other friends in the ecosystem, whether that's the party committees, whether that's advocacy groups that have big electoral programs, whether it's organizations like ours, and talking about how they're investing, not necessarily that we'll overlap with them exactly, but so much is sort of unreported things of, you know, before a scandal is out in the press, oftentimes, you know, organizations are aware of a scandal that's brewing that will make a candidate unable to raise any money or will make the candidate lose all their staff, things that are going to sort of previewing a plummet in their ability to be successful. Or the flip side, that they're hearing about something happening with the opponent that's going to make maybe a candidate that wasn't that competitive actually have a huge opportunity to to grow. So, So a mix, our political team both does the hard number stuff, but also the sort of having their ear to the ground, both in that local area, but also nationally. And that is why, you know, for us, partnership is such an important part of our strategy, not just of, you know, being a good friend to others in the space, but of really making sure that we have the kind of full picture for a race. And then the the sort of the program and product that we've developed to actually you know, we're not going to go into all the weeds of those things with people with limited time who don't really care about all the, you know, inside scoop gossip and every poll in a district. We started something called the Immediate Impact Fund that in that final stretch before the election, folks can go to our website and we just direct them to these are the top races for every level of government and they rotate based on how those races change. So they don't need to look at the whole map. We're just saying here's the top three or four races. And then once we've raised enough money for them or gotten enough volunteers, we move them to the next one. Okay. That is very, very smart. The (laughs) second you said gossip, my heart just went pitter patter because (laughs) I... Literally, I live. I live. I, I, live. I literally got served a TikTok last night that was like someone started it and was like, not to be a gossip. And then someone stitched it and was like, I'm listening. I'm, I'm listening. Here. I was like, this is, I have, I'm seen. It's fine. <laughs> so yep. it's safe to say that I cannot wait for the fast five with you because That's we so need to know which scandal is like <laughs> your fave and all of that because I'm. Just beyond. Agreed. I Agreed. love it. I love it. So good. Well, but that makes but- a lot of sense though. Like actually yeah. having like ears on the ground and being able to have those conversations because like polls can be really reliable. They can also not be. And sometimes it's the stuff totally. that you, that's not caught by numbers. It's that yeah, actual totally. like qualitative stuff that will make a difference. So absolutely. Yeah. That's absolutely. good to know. Love it. Love it. Well, 
to wrap too, we want to talk about your platform called Blueprint. Can you kind of yes. explain what that is and how that works? And especially for voters looking at 2024. Yeah. So I'm so glad you asked because Blueprint is one of my favorite things that we do at Swing Left. So, you know, overall, what we are trying to do on the donor side of things, whether a donor is someone who can give five, $5 or $5 million or anything in between is to make the process as simple as possible for people to figure out where their dollars are going to be the most impactfully spent. And something that we observed in a, a gap that we had in how we were directing people through funds like our immediate impact fund is for the people who wanted to think long-term and for major donors, for people who have $5 million to spend in an election cycle, they have the resources to hire, you know, something that you both are familiar with, but your listeners may not be a donor advisor who basically consults them and says, you know, you should spend this many dollars on these Senate races, these house races, these organizations that are doing critical get out the vote work in young communities and communities of color in these key target states. And then after they've invested, they send them these beautiful impact reports afterwards that show where those dollars went, how they were spent and what impact they had. And what we want to do is democratize that process of you don't need to have $5 million to be able to that you you should still deserve to know mm-hmm. why your dollar was useful, what how far it went and how those races ended up turning out and also how the organizations, you know, we something we haven't talked about is that we really think that investing in campaigns is critical. But it's not the whole story. If we want to invest long term and fix our democracy, that is more than any one candidate, any one election can allow us to do. So investing in that long term work is important as well. And Blueprint is our platform to give people the tools that a, a high level donor would get. And again, whether they're giving five five dollars or anything more than that. They can see, I want, I'm really interested in giving, you know, just to campaigns or to campaigns or organizations. They can sort of build the equivalent of a mutual fund, but for how they want to give their resources. And then we keep them posted on how that money was spent, what difference it made. And the point of all of that is we just really, you know, if people have a lot going on, which we know people do in general, we also know people today have more going on in this, again, sort of coming out of COVID and coming back to our our lives as they sort of used to be. And so they shouldn't have to think about polling and finding that local political gossip. They just need to know this is how much I have. And that doesn't mean they care any less. And I think that that is something that we really found in the creation of, of Blueprint that a lot of small dollar and mid-level dollar donors often would feel like they just weren't taken as seriously and that how much they cared wasn't valued as much when they gave through, you know, links that would then send them a text message every 20 minutes saying, alert, alert, the sky is falling, you need to give another $5. And so we try to make that process this sort of high level customer service that, again, we think everybody deserves, whether they're major donors or not. I I love that so much. That's incredible because I think it's so important for like just to create and like retain donors and make sure that they, you know, see that, you know, maybe it's $5 this first time, but then they get to see, you know, where it went and the impact. And I think that would be an, an inspiration and motivation to continue that political donor activity and hopefully journey for these people to just continue to feel inspired to do that work. Because I think it is easy to maybe donate once and then, yeah, you get bombarded by text and you're like, oh, I'm just being used for my wallet. Like, 
But totally. to actually be able to then see your return on investment is, I think, really exciting, especially given that it goes towards such important issues and campaigns and elections that, you know, show your impact. Yeah. Totally. And like the transparency factor. One yeah, of my best totally. friends was talking to me about this the other day. She was like, I just like wish I knew what was like actually done with the money. And it was like partially political. And then also on the nonprofit side as well, just general nonprofits. She's like, they're like, everyone just gives so much money. And it's like, where did it go? Like, was this used for staffing? Was this used to put on an event? Was this used like for what? And I think there's just sort of this gray area where no one knows what's going on if they're donating, especially if they're not the ones donating the five, you know, the $5 million or whatever. It's sort of like, okay, well, why would I do something again where I don't know the reaction or the result? And I think especially in races that are close or in spots where power is building and like, you know, it's seeing, oh my God, wow. Okay. Maybe we didn't win that race, but it was really close. It came down to 500 votes and shows that reinvesting in that again, like could be smart. It was making a difference. So I, I think this tool is great. We're going to tell literally everyone and their mother about this because this is genius. I also do want to make one note that if anyone gets any heinous campaign texts, please send them to me because I review them on TikTok (laughs) and I fix them. And I don't know, I think I've been blackballed from all of the text lists with the exception like, I'm dead. I'm dead. Okay. Human <laughs> rights campaign. They'll st- I'm still on theirs. Yeah. And I'm like this, but it's always trying to sell like a t-shirt. And I'm like, I can't, this is not right for my series I'm doing. This is very selfish ask for everyone. But anyways, if anyone gets any heinous campaign texts, send them my way. I gotta, gotta do a little makeover. Soon. And I, I, I will also pitch that anyone who donates through Swing Left on any of our platforms to any of the campaigns that we are targeting, it is our commitment that they will never be added to those lists. So I just do want to say that as a plug. I think something that our staff believes in very deeply as essential, not just for us as an organization, but really for our democracy and for people to feel like active participants in it, is we cannot treat people like ATM machines. I mean, donors are human beings who have anxieties about where our country is going, who have hopes about where we could be going, and also who have a whole range of talents and skills. And it is completely both okay and important that we be directing resources to the campaigns, to the organizations that need those resources for us to win. I mean, you can't win an election without a budget, so we need to invest in in those places. But if we, you know, I I really love the way that you put it of if we get that $5, you know, donation today, but someone then unsubscribes forever, which all I, you know, I I find my Saturday morning coffee ritual is unsubscribing from emails and text because it's just too much. It's too much, you know? So, so I think that we are, I'm excited that more and more people are talking about that, but that's also really hard commitment from us because it's just, we've got to be in this for the long haul with our volunteers and our donors. It's got to change for sure. I think, yeah, the overwhelming texts and emails, they're either going to, it's either going to cause people to unsubscribe like from the entire narrative, or it's going to be like my sweet mother who's like fair mongered into giving more money when like, it's just like rude, you know, don't come come for her. She's too giving, (laughs) but thank you so much for coming on and sharing all of this. Thank you all. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. And your guys' incredible work. Is there anything else that we can plug to turn people your guys' way? Where can people find you guys? 
so folks can find us at swingleft.org. And my biggest ask of any listener who is in their moment of anxiety or frustration or disbelief at whatever is happening in our politics, that it is never too early to start organizing and to start giving, again, whether they've got time or dollars or a combination thereof. We have a lot of work ahead and, you know, the the right wing and the furthest extreme elements of the right wing have been organizing for a generation. And so we are still playing catch up. And so if they have anxiety about 2024, the best antidote for that anxiety is signing up to volunteer and doing so today rather than a year from now. So excited to hopefully meet some of those folks out on the doors or at a letter writing party. Yes. Letter Love writing it. parties. Letter writing, just perfect for introverts. So anyone that's an yes. introvert listening, boom. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Call anyone. We <laughs> love the letter writing option for sure. Exactly. Well, thank you again. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you so much. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.